This is WCNY's The Capital Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by Bart Franey, Vice President of Clean Energy Development for National Grid. Thanks for joining us in the studio, Bart. It's great to be here. So for listeners who might not utilize National Grid based on where they live or, or for whatever reasons, can you explain what your company does in New York? Sure. So thanks for having me. To begin with, National Grid is a large international electric and gas utility. Here in New York, we're primarily a gas provider downstate, but electric and gas upstate, except for in Buffalo, we're electric only. And I recently hosted a panel for the independent power producers of New York where a representative of National Grid was on, and we were talking about the future of hydrogen. What does the future of hydrogen and National Grid look like? Is that something that's an evolving picture? Is it set in stone? What do you see there? The tech is there, but it's all about scalability. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of infrastructure, both transmission and generation, to create the hydrogen necessary to decarbonize the gas networks. And when it comes to hydrogen power, is National Grid envisioning the same sort of role as it has with natural gas, where you're helping to connect people to the energy source? Or do you envision yourself being an energy generator with regards to hydrogen? More the former. We're just the delivery network, so we'll provide the service to connect customers to the fuel supply that we'll establish either through electric policy or a decarbonized gas network. And why is hydrogen something that's appealing to National Grid? Part of our utility DNA is we always try to identify suitable alternatives that provide clean, fair, affordable electricity or energy to customers. So as part of that DNA, we tend to look for alternatives that are cost-effective. And one of the positions that we're considering is repurposing our gas networks rather than rebuilding or investing in electric for the very reason that it's already there. So given that the network is already there in place, provides a valuable source of energy for heating and for businesses, we're thinking of ways to repurpose that in the most cost-effective, reliable way possible. And hydrogen plays a role in that. And would that mean that it's just hydrogen flowing through the pipes in the future? Would it be some sort of blend of hydrogen and natural gas? What do you envision? Or is this something where the technology is continuing to evolve and the possibilities could be a range of different outcomes? Yeah, it would be a blend, at least initially, Mm -hmm. until we identify ways that you could use sole hydrogen. But initially, it would definitely be a blend. And right now, are homes capable of accommodating that type of blend? Are businesses, large buildings capable of it? Or would there need to be some sort of retrofitting by the buildings to accommodate that blend? Again, if it's blended, it's primarily a drop-in fuel with little back-end infrastructure needed at the customer end or business end. And what sort of authorization would you need from the state or the Climate Action Council or the legislature <coughs> to pursue something like that? Because I know there are some mixed feelings about this, especially in the environmental sector. <coughs> so I think it is a policy decision. So if hydrogen has a purpose that comports with the climate goals, 
and make sure that we're reliable and affordable for customers, then we should consider it as an option in the debate. Would you need, though, some sort of changes to the way state regulators are thinking about, say, compliance with the CLCAPA right now? Or would this be acceptable under current CLCPA standards? Well, it's a good question. The PSC has just launched a proceeding on zero emission reliability standards. And we're looking at ways in which these issues will will be coming up in that discussion. So those comments will be vetted by the Public Service Commission and, you know, they'll land on a position, but it will definitely take policymakers and regulators to adopt that kind of technology. And to flesh out what you're referring to there, they're basically what? Trying to determine what it actually means to be a a zero emissions uh, sector? Yeah, decarbonized grid that's also reliable and zero emission. So so does zero emission potentially have different definitions or different, I guess, nuance to it? Because I have to imagine people are listening saying zero is zero is zero. So what's so complicated? So it is complicated because we know renewable energy exists and we know nuclear energy exists. We also currently depend a lot on combustion gas units. So the the concept that the commission is examining is whether or not the system can maintain reliability with those assets and what kind of fuel source they'll need to operate on. And are you agnostic when it comes to where hydrogen comes from, how it's generated? Because there's you know, the rainbow of colors of hydrogen, so to speak. There's green hydrogen, pink right. hydrogen, with, with varying environmental consequences for it, its creation. So when you think about National Grid's future, do you care about where the hydrogen power comes from? We support the green hydrogen, but also see that with nuclear pink hydrogen, as it's called, mm-hmm. you know, there is some interesting opportunities there because nuclear plants, the way that they operate, they just stay at a constant level. So to the degree that there is excess generation, whether it's excess wind, excess nuclear, excess whatever, the concept is the same. It's take that excess energy and convert that into hydrogen and stored and used at a later point in time. Well, for listeners just joining us, let me reintroduce you. You're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Bart Franey, Vice President of Clean Energy Development for National Grid. So when we think about something like the utilization of hydrogen power and potentially blending it with natural gas, do we need to think about that as a long-term solution to our climate issues, or do you view that as a bridge to another future where we're solely relying on renewable energy? We fully support electrification, economy-wide electrification. That includes transportation, that includes decarbonizing the grid, and customers. So we're all in on renewable energy being the cornerstone to electrification of the state. So in that vein, we're just considering alternatives that would provide reliable service that would be affordable for customers. It's something that regulators demand of us and customers expect. You know, find the least ways, fit for purpose solutions. And if the goals are make the system reliable, affordable, and clean, we need to consider all the tools that are at our disposal. 
we mentioned with regards to the PSC, it's a current job of reviewing this uh, zero emissions landscape for the future and the, the nuance involved in that. And this isn't the first time that there's been this idea of nuance in terms of uh, accountability and how we think about our green future and how things are added up. And during the budget process, uh, the governor uh, made a push to change uh, how we were accounting for methane uh, emissions in the future, uh, changing sort of the landscape of that issue. What do you think about uh, something like that? Do you think it matters whether we're looking at methane at a 20-year scope or a 100-year scope? So I think we we did support the all-electrification building act mm-hmm. um, that is critical to our core tenant of, of economy-wide electrification. And again, I think you know the policymakers need to land on these alternatives, and it's a healthy discussion that is ongoing right now. Uh, and to sort of following up on that question, though, do you guys think the 100-year timeline for methane makes more sense than the 20-year one that's, I think, in the CLCPA? We think that the CLCPA and other studies that support CLCPA are achievable. With that in mind, it's really all about what is necessary to scale and make sure that we're providing safe, reliable electric service. Do you think in order to meet the state's renewable energy needs, National Grid might get into the business of building new renewable energy projects if you had the authorization to do something like that? National Grid, like I mentioned earlier, we're a large international electric and gas utility company, but we also have affiliates that are involved in investing in renewables. Both here in New York, we have three gigawatts proposed of offshore wind renewable energy, Mm -hmm. and we're currently either under construction or have in service over two gigawatts of renewable energy, solar and wind nationwide. So we do invest, but it's just the regulated companies don't invest in generation. It's our unregulated affiliates. Right, but I know there's a bill kicking around in the state Senate from the energy chair, Kevin Parker, that, that seems like it would give you guys, I guess, wider latitude to be directly involved with something like that. And I, I believe Con Edison supports that. Is that something you guys would be interested in seeing become law? So you could, you know, the National Grid Solar Project, the National yeah. Grid Wind Project, as opposed to a subsidiary of National Grid uh, Incorporated, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we're aware of it, but we think that right now the current model looks like we're very close to achieving 70 by 30 mm-hmm. through the NYSERDA programs. So those programs appear to be working, and we're also watching what happens with that bill. There is a general consensus that the short-term energy goals, say 2030, are very achievable in New York, but it's when you begin to look beyond that time frame where it starts to scratch your head and wonder, are we on a trajectory to accomplish that? So does National Grid potentially need to get into the business of launching its own projects if we want to hit our 2040 goals? Not necessarily. I think it is, so 70 by 30, as you said, we're very close to achieving it on paper, but mm-hmm. that's just 78 months away, and we have a lot to do. That so, was impressive that you did that month calculation in your head. <laughs> I would still be like looking at my fingers right now, so that was pretty good. <laughs> I'm not counting. Um, and so we're deploying over 1,000 miles of new transmission, rebuild transmission networks, it's going to require hundreds of renewable energy projects that are already contracted to get built. And that's just to achieve 70 by 30. So, yes, we can do it. 
I wish we had more time, but we'll get it done. When it comes to 2040, I think one of the biggest lessons learned that we'll take away from 70 by 30 is that we can't wait because that's going to be exceedingly more challenging for us to achieve. So that means that we're going to have to really look at our urban networks. Right now, we're just trying to move renewables out to the grid so that consumers all across the state can benefit from green power. And that's the remit around 70 by 30 is all renewables. A clean, decarbonized grid is going to actually create a lot more infrastructure needed to serve an all-electric own all electric economy. So with that in mind, we're starting to now think about urban networks. And urban networks are exceedingly more complicated. You can't just get easy access to an urban network. It's underground, you know, urban centers are largely compact and you have to maintain reliability and service. So it's gonna be sort of like rebuilding your car engine while you're driving it to electrify those urban networks, we can't wait. If we know what it's going to take to do that, we need to start to plan, start to think about investments, and do it in an integrated, least-cost fashion. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Bart Franey, Vice President of Clean Energy Development for National Grid. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by the Boom Moose Club in Albany, a co-working space for people with business at the Capitol or those just needing a home base for the day. More information on facilities and other services available at bullmooseclub.com. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our discussion with Bart Franey, Vice President of Clean Energy Development for National Grid. When it comes to the issue of transmission, specifically the idea of getting people their power, what, if anything, should the state or federal government be doing right now that they're not doing? Uh, I'd say anticipatory build-outs. Um, we're working with uh, legislators and policymakers, uh, particularly around the electrification of transport, medium and heavy-duty trucking on highways, to allow utilities to deploy um, the infrastructure needed to enable DC fast charging on highways. Uh, the, the issue that I think policymakers and regulators need to understand is it takes time to make those investments. Um, and if you say, well, you know, build it now, then we'll be ready for when the transition happens. And we know the transition is happening. We see it, you know, you, you see it all the time when you're driving around your neighborhood. It used to be a novelty to see a Tesla. Now you see them all the time. And so we see the transition happening. And what we need to do now is really accelerate on that and get those investments up and running so that people see it and businesses are willing to invest in electrification of their fleets. So those anticipatory build-outs is a really change in the thinking of policymakers and regulators because they typically it's it has to be used and useful right away but 
we can't live under that paradigm anymore. We have to get the investments in the ground and readying it for the transition because if the transition happens like we're seeing right now with renewables and they're dependent upon the infrastructure that's needed to facilitate that you can't wait till you know the need is there you have to anticipate the need with some of that build out and in order to facilitate that build out do the state to do federal officials do they need to offer some sort of uh, subsidies, or do they just need to get out of your way? Um, so it takes it takes a lot of planning, and it takes prioritization. And so we see that the need for not only just New York, but all the contiguous states, and we just recently won a million-dollar grant from the Department of Energy to study highway charging corridors across the Northeast. That's nine extra states that would look and model their networks after what National Grid had proposed for New York. And so with that, you can prioritize and, you know, map out the logistics around freighting and trucking and where they stop and how often they're there and size things accordingly. Well, so aside from like a $1 million grant, would National Grid need, though, some sort of state or federal economic incentives to do these types of build-outs, or would it be built into whatever it is you charge ratepayers or can get from ratepayers? We would definitely need the regulatory authority to do that. But these ratepayers aren't your houses anymore. These ratepayers are trucks coming into New York from Pennsylvania, charging in New York, paying for the New York infrastructure. And would that be the sole source of revenue for something like this? Or would there need to be some sort of money put up by state or federal officials? Uh, We would pursue federal funding Mm -hmm. for sure. That would be uh, something that we're doing today. But in addition to that, there would also need co-funding from the state. You mentioned the urban networks earlier and the unique challenges that they represent. There's been some language in the state budget uh, dealing with the uh, so-called peaker plants that uh, the New York Power mm-hmm. Authority runs and their responsibility to phase them out. When you think uh, about say, reliability um, when it comes to urban networks in particular, does that represent a significant challenge for that transition? Is it likely that despite the best intentions and wishes of the environmental movement that uh, fossil fuel is going to play a a key role in in ensuring reliability, especially for urban networks for years to come? So there's a lot there. Um, I would say that definitely reliability i think you know utilities policymakers everyone can agree that reliability needs to be maintained through the energy transition not only is it prudent to not compromise reliability but it is also part of federal law that we need to comply with mandatory reliability standards and so keeping on the existing peaker plants um to the degree that you need them to to serve reliability is something that is going to be a challenge, but I think it would be uh, solvable. That with with time, with with the technology, with innovation, you can get very close to removing some of those in city units. But again, you can't do it uh, until the grid is ready for it and until you have an alternative in place for it. 
I mentioned the New York Power Authority. The other part of the budget that impacts them is this language that uh, could potentially see them developing their own renewable energy projects. Are you agnostic uh, about granting NIPA that type of authority? The New York Power Authority owns generation today. They own transmission mm-hmm. today. Saying that they should build renewables and if they want to interconnect to the national grid system, we would accommodate them just like anyone else. And we do accommodate a lot of renewable development. Over 40% of the generation that's under contract with NYSERDA today is interconnecting to national grid's network. A key driving force behind the uh, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act was this idea of achieving some sort of environmental justice. So when you think about national grid's role in achieving something like that, what does equity look like for communities that you service or for the people you employ? First and foremost, uh, fair cost allocation recovery is is paramount. You know, these are state programs, and like I said, a lot of the bulk of the infrastructure is being uh, built in national grid service territory in upstate New York, renewable generation, and also rebuilding that thousand miles of transmission that I spoke about. That can't all come from national grid customers, so we need to allocate that correctly. I also think that you're going to have to get to a point where you start to think about ratepayer impacts on low-income and commercial and businesses. Are the current rate structures um, equitable for everyone? And as we progress and get more sophisticated with our policy and understanding of that economics, I think that that'll balance out to be the value proposition for businesses and for customers will be transparent. And that's that's the other thing we talk about a lot is value. It's not all one side of the ledger. You know, it's not all cost. There is a tremendous amount of value that can be obtained from the energy transition, either in direct jobs, constructing jobs, or through, um, you know, the fuel source. You know, sun and wind is free, you know. So that is going to be, you know, a big benefit for the state and for consumers. And we just had a recent experience with our Smart Path Connect project where we're partnered with the New York Power Authority on in upstate New York. Ironically, they they had a very mild winter in Boonville, New York. And and where's Boonville, New York? Boonville, New York is uh, is just north of Utica. Okay. About 40 miles north of Utica. Haven't had the pleasure yet. Oh, it's beautiful. I spent a lot of time up there myself. And uh, they're very dependent on snowmobile season. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the economics around that area are built off of snowmobiling. And with a mild winter, it, you know, a lot of the businesses were struggling. We had over 150 um, workers up there building that that project, just that National Grid alone, that was filling the hotels, you know, going into small businesses. And... They really, you know, did a lot to save that economy because of the mild winter. So I think that's a very interesting good news story. You know, the, the, the climate change, the mild winter, but yet we're doing things to mitigate climate change. And then that created the, ec- the economy for that community. And that is, I think, the central tenet to all this, right? It's, it's not only mitigating climate change and, and doing what's right for the, the environment, but it's also creating jobs. 
Well, in the first part of that answer, you mentioned the idea of affordability for ratepayers, and uh, there's legislation kicking around the Capitol. I think the acronym is like the HEAT Act or something like that, which would put a cap on uh, the utility costs for uh, low-income New Yorkers. What do you think about a bill like that? The HEAT Act itself. And, and it has other parts of it that I imagine right. are not crazy about. <laughs> Um, so I think that I, I think that that is a very uh, interesting concept. More analysis needs to be done to understand what the right percentages are, or to even have percentages built into it. Ultimately, you know, the reduction in costs in one area could be a pickup in another area. So we have to make sure that there's no unintended consequences here. So I think I think more needs to be done in looking at that that equation of equity and uh, a lot more needs to be done in understanding the economics of of the uh, clean energy transition here in new york well finally if there's a listener out there they've been hearing us chat and they're like that bart seems like a good guy he really cares about things but you know, he does work for National Grid and, you know, having clean energy in the title, maybe that sounds oxymoronic to people who know you guys for the fossil fuel work you do. So how would you try to convince people listening that, you know, you're sincere about uh, accomplishing green goals and not just, uh, you know, about placating regulators and placating the environmental movement while you're hanging on to dear life to the guess, old way of doing things? What would you say to those people? We're all in on, on the clean energy future. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it is an excellent opportunity for the state. Uh, I see tremendous value. Uh, again, a lot of those thousand miles that we're rebuilding, those assets were built before World War II, before the Great Depression. They've, they've long since gone over their useful life. Uh, if we maintain them reliably, so that they can perform their function as designed, but it's time to replace them. And right now, we're seeing a huge opportunity to, to not only address the aging infrastructure and degrading infrastructure that's been out in the elements for over 100 years, but also build in resiliency, build in the capacity needed to electrify economies if they're bringing in new big spot loads like Micron or other big spot loads, those are going to kick off knock-on effects for the economy in a good way. But they're going to require incremental usage as well. And so reinvesting in our network for uh, renewable energy, for resiliency, and for economic growth is just uh, a fascinating and and a uh, very valuable investment. Well, we've been speaking with Bart Franey. He's the Vice President of Clean Energy Development for National Grid. Bart, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.